0: You're listening to the Lean Built Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Andrew. In this podcast, we discuss our manufacturing companies, lean principles, and the freedom that we're pursuing in life and business. It's good to see you, Jay. Yeah, you too. It's been a little break. Maybe our listeners won't notice that, but a couple of vacations in there and you feeling rejuvenated?
1: Most of my vacation consisted of me and three other adults and 10 kids under the age of 13, all sharing an Airbnb. So it was fun, but it was not restful. Okay. Got it. All right. So, Where'd you you go? I went back to Rochester, New York, which is where I grew Mm -hmm. up. My dad turned 70 and retired. And that was a big milestone for our family. So all my siblings, I have seven siblings, they're all still in the Rochester area we all got together and had a party. And then uh, a couple of days later, we all went down to Gettysburg for a few days and got an Airbnb, a big Airbnb, and hung out with the whole family and spent a couple of days checking out the national park there, seeing the monuments and the battle scenes. And it was a really, really fun time. did a lot of walking, a lot of reading, a lot of history. My dad's always been really interested in the history of the Civil War. And I grew up enjoying that with him. And so Mm -hmm. it was really fun for him to be there with his sons and daughters and grandkids and be able to spend time at Gettysburg with them just walking around in no hurry checking things out we had a really great time we enjoyed it yeah but we were in a big rambling old house the bed was not bad but the house was rambling and old and kind of quirky and super fun for the kids not super restful
0: for the grown-ups i get it yeah but that's the type of stuff that you know you're going to remember they're going to rem- remember oh. I went to DC in ninth grade for a class field trip, and it was just, it was amazing. It was this huge trip for us and my cohorts, and it was awesome, and I'll never forget it. I do plan on going to the East Coast. I would love to do DC. I don't know. Maybe it's too politicized these days locked lockdown, but I would love to take my kids there when they're a little bit older so that they can appreciate our history and just understand how actually blessed we are as Americans to be in this country at this time in history. So like, Absolutely.
1: Other time. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Cool. I have a vivid memory as a kid
1: of our family and a couple other families renting a really, really big rambling old beach house on, I think it was on Oneida Lake in New York. Mm. And we just stayed there for a week. We played on the beach. We went into the town. We rode bikes. We just did everything. And that house was a mess. Like We had one big thunderstorm. We used every pot and pan in the house oh. to catch leaks that were just pouring through the roof in different parts Whoa. of the house. But it was, you know, it was summer. It was warm at night. We didn't need insulation. Like The house didn't even have insulation. It was just a crazy old beach house. And yeah. that to this day is one of my most fun and vivid memories from childhood of having an entire week in the summer with my best friends with me and all our families together, grilling out every night, running around on the beach, swimming whenever we wanted. Everybody got sunburned. It was great. It was yeah. so fun.
0: <laughs> it's like summer camp with family, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, it was. It was really good. It was really good. So we enjoyed the trip. I got back late Tuesday night. Today is Thursday. So yesterday I was batting cleanup on everything. And I actually did a pretty good job on this vacation of unplugging. I didn't have any Zoom calls. I had a few business phone calls. I checked in usually once every two days with my production manager, just to make sure that everything was running on course and that there wasn't anything in a business as small as ours. There are still certain vendors, and certain things that when they need to contact our company, they're not dumping it into a shared mailbox. They're just emailing me. Right. And Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that none of those things get landlocked when I'm not paying attention and some actionable piece of information ends up just sitting in my inbox for a week till I get back. So Mm -hmm. we touched base and I can still check in on our ERP remotely. We've got cameras, in the shop and around the shop. And so I can check in on the property if I'm curious how things are going and who's in and who's not. And then I'm still connected to our customer service software. So I jumped in on a few customer service tickets, usually in the evening at the Airbnb after the kids are in bed and sit down, have a beer, get my phone out and hop in there and answer a couple of people's questions just so that I didn't feel totally disconnected from what was going on. Because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good to me to come back and feel like there's been like a two-week time warp. Or even a week-long time warp, even being gone for a day can often feel a little disorienting. And I have to get my rhythm and momentum back.
0: Yeah. So yeah. today
1: did a lot more of that. Today was a lot of reconciling end-of-month financial statements for May, making sure everything lined up, checking on invoices, reaching out to a couple of customers who are late on some invoices and all of that fun stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were in Mexico a couple of weeks ago for vacation and we were gone six days. I've had probably three significant vacations in my married life. Yep. 10 day honeymoon and then eight days in Mexico. We had a, a European vacation, but I wasn't really cranking in business. That was our second year of, ma- of marriage. And I've come to the conclusion that six to eight days is the optimal maximum time to leave as a business owner because 10 days on our honeymoon was great, but I felt guilty like day six, seven. I'm like, okay, I love this girl. This is amazing, but I want to get back to work. You can only (laughs) lay on a beach for so long. (laughs) And it's just one of those things like you just got to keep moving, you know? So yeah, we did six days, Monday through Saturday, kind of a decompression day. Sunday, we could prep for the trip. We get back Sunday, we decompress. And then back at it on Monday. But no, this trip was, I checked in a few times, not task-based. The company right now is where I don't need to be there for any reason to exist. I have all my managers. And I would just check in because I would say, hey, I've got an idea. Do we have this, this, and that? Did so-and-so ever talk to you? Do you know about this? It was just for information only. Because I did a lot of reading, a a lot of ideas. I keep uh, an idea list. And it was great just to disconnect and go, you know what? I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to think. I'd rather jump in the pool and then have a Mai Tai. And then maybe in a couple hours, I'll think about business. And that's hard. Yep. That is hard as an entrepreneur to disconnect, not just physically, but mentally as well. So it was great.
1: Yeah. Usually for me, about one week is my max. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like to leave. You know, Normally we're driving wherever we're going. We don't typically fly with all the kids. We would... Drive on a Saturday or Sunday, stay for a week, and then drive back the following Saturday or Sunday. And that lines up with me missing one clean week of work, Mm -hmm. and then I'm back. And the only reason that this slightly longer trip worked for us is because it was kind of split between two locations. It was a little bit more of a three day here and then six days here kind of thing, Mm -hmm. where it broke it up enough that if I had been in just one place for the
0: entire time, I would have started getting pretty stir crazy. Yeah, yeah, that can happen. Yeah, the resort we were at was very faceted, I guess would be a good way to say it. And you just go on to the other side of it, or you go to a different restaurant. And yeah, if we were there just one more day, maybe two more days, I'd have seen if we could come back early. In fact, (laughs) oh, I, I totally forgot this. My wife and I did go to Hawaii. Her parents invited us and paid for everything. We were probably married like, gosh, this is going back maybe 15 years. And I actually looked at what it would cost to fly back three days early for that very reason. I'm like, first of all, it was just close quarters. We didn't have our own room. If we had our own place, it probably would have been a little bit different. But then just running out of stuff to do, and it was just a beach that was limited to the hotel we were at. And it just, I couldn't explain what it was, but I knew I needed to get back. But in the end, I just chose to tough it out in Hawaii (laughs) for the peace of. Not making my in-laws mad. Life's hard that way. I know, isn't it? Gosh, (laughs) poor me. Jeez. Hey, how about spinning that wheel?
1: Yeah, let's give it a turn. What do we got today? Latest lean improvements. So let's see. We're actually in the middle of designing a new folding jig, a little small machine we use to strip heat down the center of the shell so we can fold them shut into their final shape. And we've experimented with a bunch of different ways of doing that with radiant strip heaters and... We actually currently use hair straighteners, just $30 hair straighteners from Walmart. You add some Teflon shielding to them so that the surfaces don't stick to the plastic when the holster gets hot enough to fold. We add some clamps so the holster can be held in place hands-free while it's heating and gradually softening up. But there are certain things about that process that are just, they're pretty manual and the alignment can be a little bit tricky and there's just room for error in that process. And we just had to scrap out some shells this morning. That got folded a little bit crooked. And I'm not sure if it was because they got put into the heater a little bit crooked so that the soft strip was slightly off center Mm -hmm. or if they got handled incorrectly in some way while being folded. One of our big lean improvements from years ago was every time we designed the new model, I would design 3D printed folding slugs that are just a full 3D jig that the shell folds around and cools in place on. So we have control over all the dimensions and alignment. And that keeps everything lined up, but it doesn't make the wavy part of the fold straight because you can't put the hot plastic of the shell against the 3D printed slug. Otherwise, it just softens up the plastic and the slug gets destroyed. Right, right. And so Mm -hmm. that was an enormous leap forward for us and has saved us tons and tons and tons of defects over the years. But it's still a manual process. You're still folding them one at a time by hand around the shell and then putting a spring clamp on and putting them in a cooling rack. We already upgraded and changed the whole cooling rack system, built a little wire rack that doesn't mar the parts when they're soft and cradles them nicely so they don't tip over and knock each other off. That's been great. And now the remaining pain point in that process is how we're actually heating them up. So Mm -hmm. one of my guys spent some time today just pencil and paper sketching a concept for how he'd like a little machine like that to work. And then we're going to cat up some parts and machine a little bit next week and try to build... With an integrated heating element, a more purpose-built thing for exactly
0: what we need. And if it works, it'll be great. Yeah. And if not, it'll you're be a be, great learning gonna, experience. Does that mean you're going to be machining metal?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Wow, we actually okay. machine metal not that infrequently. Oh, okay. not every day, right. but okay. All we right. don't. That's we, true. We, we do a lot more 3D printing for quick, cheap, lean improvements. Yeah. But when we're building stuff for production work, if it needs to be metal, we make it out of metal
0: okay yeah so we've got
1: we've got welding and some grinding and other stuff capabilities in the shop
0: so okay you know we mess around metal a little bit see i just always envisioned that you would always be like a plastics cutter and you would probably machine stuff maybe every couple months we have some production metal parts that we make we do make some metal
1: belt attachments for competition style holsters that we wholesale to other holster makers we also make some purpose-built knobs and adjusters for competition holsters that we wholesale to other holster makers. And then we also make some tooling and jigs and fixtures for other holster makers that we machine for them out of aluminum. Copy. So we keep, we have a rack full of bar stock. I have everything normally from like half by three-quarter flat bar all the way up to inch and a half by eight flat mm-hmm. bar. Mm-hmm. So there have been times when I've been machining metal every day for weeks on end. Those kind of projects aren't that frequent anymore. Okay.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Well, for us, I was looking through our, uh, we have a chat called Pearson Progress, an internal company chat where everyone posts their improvements. And I would say probably the one that's going to have the highest impact is we got a dust collection unit. Yep. It's cheap from Grizzly. I said, well, let's just go cheap first. Yep. Because our belt grinder or belt sander, there's one metal file in the company. And when we say, where's the file, we mean the file because there's absolutely (laughs) no handwork done on any of our products. So the belt sander is this weird, odd machine that sits in a corner where the ends of sawn bars for our lathe get chamfered or deburred. I was walking by and I just, I saw a pile of metallic dust on the ground Yep, and I thought, when that we make improvements, yeah, it's always safety, quality, simplicity, speed. That's out of the Paul Akers playbook or the lean playbook. Yep. That's just a safety issue right there. Yep. A, because it's on the ground B, there's a potential to breathe it. It's so infrequent that it doesn't get a lot of attention, but you know, we have missed away, missed collectors on all our machines. Cause I do care about the quality of the air Yep, and that's just a bad one. Like metallic dust is probably the worst thing that you could probably be breathing. So that was a big one for me. Now it's still in a box. I delegated it to a guy. He was going on vacation in three days. And I thought to myself, this is not going to get done. That, he is in vacay mode. And so when he gets back on Monday, hey man, <laughs> build it, install it, let's get this done. Yep. It is a safety issue. So yeah, I'd have to go with the safety route and go with that dust collector. We have central dust collection for
1: most of, we have a couple of different stations for polishing and deburring edges of parts because the plastic mm. parts have very sharp corners when they come out of the CNC. And we basically just use a medium grit Scotch-Brite wheel on an sure. adjustable speed bench grinder. We have a couple of those with dust hoods built over them. But one of the things that was a great lean improvement for our dust system is we actually use blast gates, dust gates with a built-in electrical switch And so when you open the gate to a specific machine, it powers up the dust collection system. And when you're done to turn the machine off, the only way to turn the machine off is to close your gate. So you Uh, end up with usually only one gate open at a time. And you don't have the problem of somebody forgetting and leaving a gate open somewhere. And then all of a sudden, half of your drawn volume of air is just somewhere else in the system. And you no longer get good collection at the point of your work. That was a great improvement. Took a little bit of finagling to figure out how to get them mounted up securely to the wall at a nice ergonomic height where they're easy to reach. And then the other thing was we actually built a little shed outside the building and put our dust collector in it and piped through the wall into that outside enclosure so that we could isolate all the sound out of our workspace. Yeah. And that made a huge difference, except that now it was so quiet, we would forget it was on and leave it on. Oh. And so in addition to moving it outside of the building, we added a bright green indicator lamp to the circuit. So anytime any of the dust gates are open and the system outside is running, the green light is on. Because when you got your plugs in and the CNC machines are running in that room, you can't hear the dust collector. It's pretty quiet and it's on the other side of the wall. And that made a huge difference in us not forgetting to turn it off anymore. And that I love visual
0: controls like that. So did you DIY those dust gates or are they off the shelf type? They're off the shelf gates. Why? Wow. They're just wired to something? How does that work?
1: They have a little contact switch on them. When the gate is closed, it closes the switch. And when okay. you slide the gate open, it opens the switch and turns on the system. I would need to track down where we got them from. We looked at a couple different versions and there were some where you could like have the gates Open and close automatically. You press a remote and then you could. There's a lot of ways of doing central dust collection. And a lot mm-hmm. of wood shops have basically an octopus. You have a big dust collector in the middle of the room and then you're running pretty small, either four or six inch lines, long runs to dedicated equipment like your planer or your joiner or your table saw. And you're also trying to usually carry relatively heavy, large wood chips from those machines. So you need to have all the CFM focused at the actual place you're working. And if you have this big octopus with all these lines and you put your gates at the end of each line, right where it terminates at the machine, you still have a bunch of points of leakage and Mm -hmm. a bunch of volume that the machine is drawing against. And so it's it's usually best practice to keep your gates close to the dust collector, but then they're on the other side of the room from the machine you're working at, and that's a huge pain. And so a lot of woodworking shops have liked to go to wireless remotes to turn the dust collector on and off and wireless remotes to open and close blast gates. We put all of our dusty equipment on a single wall and ran a 10-inch trunk line along Mm. the wall with very short four-inch drops to each machine. Mm. So So dust collector is basically pulling on a nearly constant volume every time, and we don't have any Static pressure problems or loss of ability to flow. It goes four feet in this four inch line and then it's right into the big metal main duct and then into the next room, out through the wall and into the dust hog. I love it. Yeah. Worked out great. And all I had to do was explain the concept. And one of my guys did all
0: the work to figure it out and install it. Yeah. Right now we have it split because we went with a Y and then it goes obviously to our belt sander. Then it goes to the floor and there's this floor mounted. It looks like a mini hood where mm-hmm. at, when you're sweeping, you just sweep into that and it's beautiful. Yes.
1: We have that at our table saw because we cut a okay. lot of inch and a half HDPE and yeah. it throws off all these really wispy chips. Like They get all in my beer. They get in my ears. They just get everywhere. Okay. And yeah. The easiest way to clean that up is just open the floor gate and just
0: broom it all in there yeah, and watch it great. suck yeah. right up. It's awesome. Willy really
1: Wonka uh, style
0: yeah i'm sure this exists somewhere but i wanted to find like a y gate because we'll never use the belt sander and the floor scoop at the same time but grizzly didn't have anything like that so we just have one gate for the i don't know which gate it goes to be honest or or the gate goes to but we have this device a little yellow box i don't know the name i could probably bring it up next time but you plug in the belt sander into this connector the connector goes into the wall then when you turn on power to the belt sander, it sees a current and it turns on the dust collector. Yep. Yeah, it's so great. One switch activates both. Anytime. We've rewired a lot of things in the shop or added
1: electrical boxes add a lot of machines to get that one switch functionality. Love and it. I, anytime I can, if I've got a specific work lamp at the uh-huh. station for that machine, mm-hmm. I always want to gang the machine and the work lamp together so you can't run over to that saw and just try to quickly cut something and not turn the lamp on because that's a safety issue. And then Uh when you can gang it all together, so as soon as you turn the light on and start spooling the saw up, the dust collection is automatically on. Right. I love those kinds of solutions because every time I touch it, I'm saving
0: twice as many touches. It's a uh, wasted motion. Yeah. For us, I looked at like where the dust collection unit's going to go and it is behind the belt sander. So you're reaching beyond the belt sander to turn it on. Mm-hmm. And I think you could have an errant piece of clothing or your arm hit the oh, belt. Yeah. It's a safety issue. We have our mist collectors on these cheap. I think you there's a three pack of these remote. It's like a key fob with one, two, and three. And then they have these little units that are just go in between the plug and the socket. And so we just put all of them on. Well, like one row will be row one. Another row of machines will be number two. And then you just turn on the mist collectors just by pressing this little key fob. It's great. But this unit, this yellow box, that's a safety issue. I don't want my guys to ever be reaching beyond a belt sander to flip a stupid switch when it could be done automatically. That brings to
1: mind another recently improvement. We use these, what do we call it, a clamshell heat press. Yeah. And it's just a cam arm that you sort of snap down to lock the thing. And it's got heaters in the top element and then a silicone pad on a hard platen at the bottom. And they're commonly used to bedazzle shirts and put decals and rhinestones and stuff on all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. But we use them just to heat thin sheets of plastic because it's direct contact heat. And the plastics we use, if you just lay them flat in an oven in an unrestrained state and warm them up, they tend to want to curl at the corners and stick to themselves. Mm. And so by constraining it in a clamped heat source, we get consistently flat parts that come out and they're flat, they're fully heated, they're ready to handle, and you don't have to fight it like a sticky fruit roll-up to get it open and then line it up on the mold because we're trying to get the plastic off the heater, onto the mold and fully pressed in about six to eight seconds. Mm -hmm. And so if you get a fruit roll-up, You're gonna miss your entire open time. You're gonna be forming at 20 or 30 degrees below your optimal temperature, and then your part might be bad. Mm -hmm. But the on off switch to preheat these heat presses, you have to reach over the heated platen and through the armature and then under the electrical enclosure to get the switch. It's the dumbest thing. (laughs) And we've lived with it that way for years. It finally came to a head because one of my employees is fairly short with pretty short arms. And had trouble reaching that switch without dragging their arm against the hot top. They're not touching the actual heated platen. They're touching the sheet metal surround around the platen. But still, he's like, can we just move that? (laughs) Can we just disconnect the electrical box from the frame of this machine and relocate it around to the side and bolt it to the cart? Because we have each of those machines on a cart we built out of maker pipe. So we've got an EMT and plywood cart built for each machine. And we have a couple of them built at different heights because we have small, medium, and large employees. And we wanted to have that thing that they use every day be available in an optimum height because you're opening and closing that thing. And really it's easiest to close when you shut it and you can get the bar down near your belly button and then just sort of lean over it and lock it. If the the thing is too tall, you're up here and you're trying to work with arm strength, close it, and it gets exhausting. So we built these carts and he said, can we just Disconnect the electrical box, rewire it, and mount it right here at the front edge of the table on the cart. Yeah. Like we absolutely can. And the other thing is when you have the heat press open, it flips up, it obscures the control panel on the machine. And you can only, when the thing is closed, the timer is running, it's in cycle. And if you want to change the temperature or adjust the timing of the cycle, you have to do it with the machine in the open position. And then you have to open it up and reach around it and look over it to touch the mm. little touch screen and make adjustments. Everything about it was
0: dumb. And I was just so used to it, I just didn't think about it. That right there is the beauty of a new employee. Yeah. They come in and they see the stuff that you see, but you really don't, don't recognize. see anymore. You don't yeah. see it, you know? So, yeah, we had one guy, Kyle. Shout out to Kyle. He would seem annoying if you didn't know him because he's always asking, like, why do you do it like this? Why don't we do it like that? And most of the times it's like, oh, well, we did try it like that four years ago. This is why it doesn't work like that. Okay, great. But you know, Kyle's always asking big questions. And then you know, the answer is, I don't know. I have no idea. I did a tour with a practical machinist on their YouTube channel. And we talked about that, how one of the greatest assets is the new employee on day one. Most of the time, People think like new employees are a liability. They don't know anything. You don't know them. You don't know their vibe, their trustworthiness. But I go day one employees. We say, hey, if you have a question, shout it out. If you think we could do it better, do it. I recently moved something in the shop or we were going to move something. And I turned to Alex and I said, this is a pretty dumb spot that we have it here. He's like, I know it annoys us. I'm not sure why it's here. And I said, you know why it's here? Because that's where I put it when I opened the box in 2012. And he just starts <laughs> laughing. I said, I put it there and then I went and I clamped it to the table and it's been there for 12 years or 11 years. So yeah, it's crazy. And there's that little no C-clamp thought into It's like it. the rock of Gibraltar, unmoved. Totally. yes. So yeah, no, I love new employees and the perspective they bring, so... Well, I remember you commenting to me
1: a couple of years ago, I forget exactly when it was, that you got some skates and hired riggers to come in and just move CNC or C's around in your shop. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was so alien to me at the time. I'm like, oh man, it's like a huge ordeal and it's stressful and scary and it's super expensive to have riggers come in. And it it would never have occurred to me at the time to even consider doing something like that. Yeah, But it makes so much more sense now. Like We're in the process of moving a bunch of work off one machine onto another machine, which is going to change where the heat press and the cooling rack and the mold racks and other things, the ancillary stuff, where it is on our main shop floor. And I'm like, okay, we really actually don't have space in front of the machine that we're moving this work onto to put all the stuff that was at the previous machine because the previous machine was off in the corner in its own area and there was no foot traffic past it. And we're mm-hmm. moving it onto a machine that's more centrally located. And we're going to end up cluttering the walkway by that machine. And I'm thinking about this and going, we just put these machines in. Like these, these machines have been in place for less than a year. Am I crazy to think about just reorganizing the entire shop layout? I don't think I'm crazy. I haven't decided if we're doing it yet, but it doesn't seem crazy at all anymore to say, you know what? We're going to rerun some air, we're going to reroute and redrop some power. And we're gonna put these machines in this other configuration so that everything we do on them
0: is optimal for this space. Because the work we're
1: doing now is different than it was a year ago.
0: That story that you're saying, I've referenced that a few times. It's one of my guys, Juan, he's been with me, gosh, for a long time, almost 10 years. And he got a pedometer. Is that the name of it? A watch that counts your steps. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he got it for Christmas. You know, it's after Christmas, and he said. Hey, Jay, check this out. And he showed me this 8.14. And I said, what is that? He said, that's how many miles I walked today. I'm like, good for you. That's great. Getting some exercise right after Christmas. He said, no, that's at work. And I went, what? And he was moving from, this was two shops ago and we had two industrial units and the machines were arranged in an L and he was going literally from corner to corner tending two machines. And we were probably practicing lean, I want to say, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. And the concept of moving machines is, like you said, it's stressful, it's expensive. It was not an option. But after seeing Juan walk 8.1 something miles in an eight hour shift, that's crazy. And so for me, I could actually go in and see, okay, the average human walks this, this is how much time. And I calculated out how much time Juan spent walking back and forth. And I called the rigger and I said, hey, I got an easy job for you. I just need you to move a machine probably 30 feet and you can squeeze it in on your next delivery. Okay, we're actually going to be there Tuesday. Great. They show up $300. Electrician came in for another like three or 400 bucks. We made that money back within weeks. I'm pretty sure weeks or months because I can actually put a number to it, but no, we're going to do it again. We have one machine and a grinder that need to swap. And then I talked to the guys that run, they're on different ends. I talked to them and said, Hey, I got this vision. I want to start like, I want to swap these two. And I explained to them why, and they're just, their eyes are rolling. They're going, Oh my gosh, why didn't we think of that when we moved in here? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. That's water in the bridge. We're doing it. And yep. yeah, in about three weeks, the riggers have scheduled us to come in and we're going to move two machines, swap places. The good thing is the electrical, we don't have to change it. We just need to pull a slightly higher wire into the other one. That's under 500 bucks right there. So yep. for well under, you know, maybe like 700 bucks, seven, 800 bucks with the riggers, we're going to put machines in optimal positions. And they're absolutely going to be like the best, most efficient thing that we make up within a month.
1: Yeah. Taking the time to do the napkin math or the more precise math, you know, putting it in a spreadsheet and actually putting some numbers to it is a superpower once you figure out how to roughly estimate those things and figure out what those deltas are. Cuz so many things in the company are just like, "Oh, I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> totally. People are like, "We do things as an owner, I do things all the time just based on gut feel." Yeah. And and sometimes Sometimes that's perfectly acceptable. I've been at enough workstations. I've done enough things that when I go to set up a new area or rearrange something, there are certain kinds of mistakes I just already know by feel how to avoid. And I just set it up, work with it, try it out. Yeah. But there are so many other areas where I don't even think about it. Like right now, our break room is at the farthest back end of the building. Mm-hmm. And the only sink we have is at the front of the building. So we have like a little Berkey filter back there. So we've got water, drinking water, a water cooler in the break room, but there's no way to do dishes back there. And our microwave and our fridge are back there and it's dumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have a great plan for fixing it, but it's clearly
0: dumb. (laughs) So about a month and a half ago, we took possession of a new industrial unit for another venture I'm working on. And the guys wanted to put the break room where the break room was in a natural position, but it's right next to this bathroom. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Wait a minute. No, let's put the break room in that back office that's on the other side, because you don't want someone blowing up the toilet, you know, and everyone's got to smell the break room. So it might not be as big of a problem as you think having it on the other side of the shop. There
1: are some advantages it's in a room in the back that doesn't have any windows and it just doesn't feel like a restful space. I never want to spend time in there. I okay. sit down and eat in there. The, the, the microwave's there. The fridge is there. My lunch is in there. Yeah. But even if I could get them to a different spot, we've got this conference room where I'm sitting right now where we have our morning meetings, but we're already outgrowing this conference room. It's not that big. And our morning mm-hmm. meetings are crammed. We have to drag extra chairs in from the other room in order to all get in here. We can't mm-hmm. all sit around the table. And it's- about the same size as our break room, and the employees normally stagger their breaks so they're not all in the break room all at the same time. But it's a much more pleasant space to be in. Yeah, it's better lit. It's got a couple windows. When the weather's nice, it's got an exterior door into this room, so you can open the door and get a breeze into the building.
0: It's just way nicer. Sold. And, yeah, if you you got to put people first. That's that's our core tenant right there. So. Well, that's today's lean improvement then.
1: So in the course of having this conversation and explaining this out loud and saying, that's dumb. By the way, have you ever seen the movie, The Big Short about the market crash in 08? I have not. It's got Steve Carell and uh, Christian Bale and a bunch of people in it. Yeah, I know the boardroom scene. Yeah, there's some great stuff. There's a scene where Christian Bale's character, Dr. Michael Burry is in his office and one of his investors, a guy named Lawrence, who has given him, he's, he's invested millions of dollars with Michael Burry And Michael Burry has used it to get this short position on the housing market. And Lawrence is fed up and wants his money back, and he comes into Burry's office and just starts yelling at him and just says, give me my money back. And Michael Burry says, well, it's obvious there's a housing bubble. And he says, it's never obvious. That's why it's called a bubble. (laughs) And Christian Bale just looks at him and says, that's dumb, Lawrence. And every time, every time I see things in the shop, I hear this little, like the way he said it, it's like, just, that's dumb, Lawrence. (laughs) That's dumb. I love it. I hear that in my head. And every time I hear that, I have to say to myself, so fix it. Mm -hmm. When I see something and that little voice says, oh, that's dumb, man. Yeah. When I see somebody struggling with something or I see something sitting around in a place it shouldn't be. Or I find myself wandering around looking for something I can't find. I'm like, I should have one of these right where I need it. Why am I always walking back here to find this thing? That's dumb, Andrew. (laughs) That's good. So I'm actually going to be out of the shop tomorrow. I've got some errands to run out of town. And I'm (laughs) going to send a text right now to my facilities manager and say, Hey, we are flip-flopping the break room and the conference room. So the whiteboards can come down the conference room table can come out of there. I want the employees to have that nicest space in the building to be in and be comfortable there. It's just, I'm not digging the
0: cave. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to go a long way. A long way. Absolutely. Cool.